Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are uh, all full stomached and uh, Thanksgiving doubt, and uh, so <laughs> you know we. One of the things that that is interesting on the show that we're always trying to figure out is. What do you guys like? What do you dislike? Um, and we've had a couple of shows recently. You know, Aaron and I have, have kind of gone back and forth on where are we in the DevOps camp? Are we pro DevOps? Are we anti DevOps? Um, and we've done a couple of shows lately uh, where, you know, we DevOps was, was one of the topics and it got a lot of attention. Now, I don't know if that was positive attention or negative attention. So in order for us to sort of sort through some of this, we uh, we sent our chief DevOps correspondent uh, out to DevOps Enterprise Summit a couple of weeks ago, week and a half ago or so. And uh, so, Josh Outwell, welcome back to the show, first off. Thank you very much. There for a second, I had hoped that your feedback was everybody loved me on a previous episode, and then you just well, had they to did, have me back. They did. The show, <laughs> the show that we had you on is, is uh, when we were at All Things Open, when you were co-hosting, and, and we talked to... Uh, uh, Chris from Chris um, yeah, Chris Short from uh, from Solar Winds about sort of you know DevOps from the front line. A uh, lot of lot of listens, uh, maybe you know twenty thirty percent more than than the average. So I assume that's a good thing. Um, but I'm always curious because I, I there's a part of me that um, you know looks at DevOps and goes you know it is a it is a human behavioral change thing um and and that's hard and then there's a part of it that's you know that's technology and 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 that's hard too but maybe not always as hard and so um i had a chance to go to devops enterprise summit 2 years ago i didn't get a chance to go this year cuz i was uh at kubecon but you had a chance to go so first off give me your take had you hadn't been there before had you i had actually gone to the devops enterprise summit earlier this year in london oh that's right so, that's right so i had i had been at a devops enterprise summit but just not in the us okay so so give us give us two perspectives then give us the uh you know the us version perspective and then maybe compare the two yeah uh you know it's it's an interesting event one thing that i found having attended a lot of these events is that there is this real hunger for for knowledge and um, you know, Gene, Gene Kim and the IT Revolution team—they uh, do a really nice job of curating a lot of people who are you know, thought leaders and uh, executioners, if you will, not like in the the you know ending a life, but you know, actually deploying DevOps successfully and and reaping the benefits. Um, you know, they do a really good job of bringing these people together and allowing them to kind of share their journey and some of the things that have happened and how they've you know, adopted DevOps and how they implemented it. One of the interesting things that a lot of people saw uh, in the one in the U.S. was talking about how the uh, American Airlines merger, you know, they had uh, some leadership from the, the IT organizations there talking about some of the challenges there. Now, you know, I'm not a fan of those airlines, but I was really, you know, intrigued by like their tale about you know, how they were kind of tackling that. So you get a little bit of that. And then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, they had like um, uh, Adrian Cockroft from Amazon, uh, AWS. And, you know, he was talking about um, building teams and, and how different organizations approach bringing in talent and managing talent and, and growing people within the organization. So nice, nice little blend across the board. And I would say there's a lot of consistency from the UK event and the U S event from that standpoint, there were some of the same presenters 
who presented, uh, I would say, similar talks. Uh, some of them were a lot of overlap, which that's fine. I can appreciate. But, uh, yeah, that was a lot of commonality between the two. Okay. Well, cool. <clears throat> so the thing I liked about the show when I went a couple years ago was um, – it, you know, it felt very, uh, I don't know, living out here in Raleigh, uh, you know, we always sort of say, hey, we have a little different perspective than the than Silicon Valley perspective. Um, and, it, and it felt like it was sort of the DevOps show for the rest of the world, right? Sort of the non-unicorn show, because the the people who were presenting the, the you know stories that were being presented were things like, at least when I went, it was... Uh, you know, nationwide insurance. It was Sherwin Williams Paint. It was some people from the U.S. federal government. It was you know, it wasn't people whose only asset, the thing they delivered, was a you know, was a technology. Um, what, what did you see this year? What were what were some of the good stories that you heard, or what were some of the things that you saw evolve? Yeah, I think you you touch on something that's very true in that a lot of the people that are there are not people that you would necessarily look at and say. This is absolutely a high technology company. Right. Uh, you know, at the one in London, I think one of the big ones that stood out for me was Barclays Bank. And they were talking about how old they were. And, you know, I, I make the joke around this that you know, some of their policies are literally written into stone. Right? They, they've just <laughs> been around so long. Um, but the fact that they were recognizing the disruption that their business had, how they were having to be more of a software company and interacting with consumers through software and through the devices that they had and changing the online experience, how that's a, a new evolution for a lot of these companies. And I think you're spot on. In fact, Nationwide was one of the companies that presented in, in the one in London. You know, they were talking about you know how they're making you know their services more portable and looking at the 12-factor apps and how they are enabling their developers to turn on specific features that they need specifically for the application that they have. And be able to create ad hoc environments and you know putting these ad hoc services together, so that was that was kind of interesting. And my understanding is you know they've they've had, continued to have an evolution. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to going forward is seeing hopefully some of these companies come back, maybe not next year, but the year after, to talk about how they continue that evolution and tackling new things. And I think given that so many people are across a spectrum of adoption with DevOps, this event does a pretty good job of highlighting some of those things. Yeah. What did you see? You know, one of the things that <clears throat> I think we, we all sort of struggle with, with, uh, with some of the DevOps stuff. And, and again, you know, you could sort of substitute the word DevOps with some of these digital transformations and just, you know, journey. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're all evolutionary types of things. Have you seen any sort of models emerge yet um, that, that you're seeing people, repetitively talking about or you know especially on the especially on the people side of things i i hear a lot of stories about well we we built a center of excellence or this was done out of the cto's office or but i'm, I'm curious if you've seen any organizational models yet that, that you are starting to see some consistency in terms of people saying you know this is this is a thing that works yeah i would say i see two primary things and one kind of begets the other one is that a lot of the organizations that are on stage and presenting and talking about their journey, and this is both at the DevOps Enterprise Summit, and I've seen this at the DevOps Days events as well, is that they have embedded people across different or organizations. So they'll take actual 
uh, operations folks and have them interacting with the development teams on a regular basis, kind of as a liaison or actually embedded with them to help get more visibility into what's happening on the development side, understanding what's coming, what the challenges were, the last deploy, what went wrong, maybe how can operations improve that, and then allowing the operations folks to report in about well, this was absolute crap. This should have been handled a little bit better. This is you know, how we can do this a little bit uh, more effectively. And then the other thing that I, I've noticed most recently, especially at the San Francisco event, was a much greater increase on the discussion of insourcing and bringing development expertise back in-house. No longer going out overseas and you know outsourcing certain components of the development, but by bringing it back in house, having a lot more ownership, not just from the code that's developed, but the, the pace at which it's being developed and being able to pivot when needed instead of having to rene- renegotiate the ar- agreement that they have with the outsourcer, they can just pivot those people and put them on other things. And so part of those two together, they were discussing frequently about how they could take a single person and potentially move them from one team to the other and it being non-disruptive. This kind of led directly into Microsoft's talk when they were talking about how they're implementing Git throughout the entire company. And the success of that, in part, enabled more developers to be able to transition from one team to another without as much disruption as they've had from the past. Now, I I don't believe that that was one of their core motivators per se, but it absolutely provided a lot more flexibility from a from a resource perspective. So now that you can treat each one of those resources as someone that can be deposited into uh, a small team for tackling a specific application or can be moved over to another group to help uh, fix some backlog and, and to get them caught up with where they should be. Uh, it was, it was, I think that was probably the biggest theme that I've that I've seen so far this year and was a spe- specifically highlighted at the DevOps Enterprise Summit. Yeah, no, it's that it, it brings up a couple of interesting points. I think um, you know for for any of us that have gone through seeing development, um, whether it's it's dev or test, um, get out get outsourced or offshored. Um, it does create some interesting problems, right? The first one is it creates typically a time zone barrier, which is, um, you know, in and of itself, typically a huge problem. Somebody's on a call at, at one in the morning or somebody's on a call at very late hours of the night. Um, you, you introduce, uh, you know, some sort of communication channel, which, <clears throat> you know, for one-to-one, like we're doing right here, not such a big deal when you have rooms of people, uh, having to communicate over it makes it, makes it very <clears throat> difficult. Um, and like you said, if you're, if you're introducing an outsourcer and the outsourcer's motivation is, you know, to do things like charge you for changes and to, to, uh, you know, sort of, you know, stick to scopes of work and you're trying to introduce a model that changes a lot. Um, and it does make a lot of sense that we're seeing this, you know, this push towards kind of repatriotizing the work, bringing people back, bringing, you know, the projects back and so forth. Did you, did you see any people, um, who were successfully doing that, but still having remote workers, you know, say like here in the States or was, you know, that embedding meaning, you know, physical location or did that come up at all? I don't recall it being specifically outlined, but the general intent, for instance, if you look at, and they weren't there, but if you look at Walmart, you know, Walmart has developers 
uh, in different geos around the country. Right. And, you know, they're, that's kind of well known that they have a big, big presence in Silicon Valley area. Uh, even though they're you know, an Arkansas based company, they have, they have folks in new England as well, uh, who work on different elements and, and develop there. So I don't, I don't see that the geographics or the geographics, the geographies are as important per se in this, especially with uh, the way that people are working and the way that they're being organized into teams. Uh, but I think the intent really more is on having more control over what people are working on at any given point in time and being able to modify that. You know, yeah. that to, to your point, like if your your statement of work says that you're going to deliver X, Y, Z and any changes are going to cost you. And, you know, it's not just the money it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time because now you're going to have to work through you know, renegotiating what that statement of work is, what those deliveries are. Uh, and if you're an organization that's not equipped for that, then that's going to create some issues for sure. That is definitely not the uh, the DevOps methodology, if you will. Right. What What did you see? Um, I mean, there's always a there's always a people aspect of you know reorganize the team, retrain people. Did you find there were there were any other sort of commonality in terms of things that were working? Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, "Well, <clears throat> you know, the first thing we need to do is get a." you know, sort of automated test CI pipeline in place, or we just need to learn how to automate stuff, whether it's infrastructure or whatever. I mean, were there, were there sort of first common themes or first common steps that people always kind of had to get over that, you know, for the people that were successful, or is it still, you know, was there, was there much more focus on um, instead of automation kind of changing what the applications look like, whether they're strangler patterns or trying to break up monoliths into something else. I mean, what, where was the focus? Was it more on automation? Was it more on rewriting applications or was it something else? I think it was mainly on two areas. Number one being how to build more of a service oriented model to where you're building components that can be leveraged throughout the organization. Uh, Target is a great example. You know, they've, they've recently talked a lot about, how their inventory systems are API driven and can be accessed. They're accessed differently. Uh, you know, it's the same system, but it's accessed by the web app. It's accessed by the in-store systems. You know, it's a central service that is provided for the development of other applications. Uh, you know, a lot of focus I see on that. Uh, you know, GE also has a great white paper out. I think it's a white paper, a couple blog posts talking about how they're doing the exact same thing with the with the work that they're doing. So I'm seeing that. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, Capital One also talked a little bit about that with you know at the event where basically everyone who's writing code they're you know, very much open to open source. Um, they're you know, brought a lot of it back in and they work in product teams, right? So in a product team they'll have uh, develop the developers, they'll have a product manager if you will, they'll have some folks that are uh, associated with operations, they'll have folks that are associated with testing, and all of these people get together to work on a specific product and to move that segment forward. And those people could mix and match, right? They could they could be moved and broken up and worked on another product team. So uh, enabling the people to kind of get together, a, sh- a small group, I, I think the way a lot of people like to describe that, the two pizza teams, you know, have a team no bigger than what uh, two pizzas can, can feed. And I guess, you know, that, that would depend on <laughs> how much pizza people eat. But uh, the, the, con- the concept remains, right? Keeping, keeping the teams small and enabling them to do everything that they, that they need to do. And, you know, that hits on the second thing that I think is a common thread of transparency and collaboration. You know, no longer trying to hold everything you know, to the chest and being very transparent about what you did uh, and how things work and what, what needs to happen, being very 
clearing your communication about what your expectations are and what your needs are rather than saying, well, you know, we could do that, but it would be very, very difficult. So we don't want to tell them that we could do that because then we would actually have to do it, but but be more in line with, well, yes, that's possible. It's going to take this amount of time, this number of resources. This is how challenging it's going to be. We would need people from your team to get on board and help out, but yeah, we could do it. And then, you know, having a little more visibility and like to when things are actually happening, you know, this is going to deploy at this point in time. It's not going to be a surprise. Like we've been communicating, we've been uh, involved. And I think that structure of embedding resources or doing those product teams is, you know, I mentioned with capital one, I think that's part of that desire, right? Because now you don't have these uh, strong lines of delineation from the different disciplines. Now you're required more or less to sit right next to these folks and engage with them on a regular basis and work together as a team in order to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know that the, the target folks have done always, um, they've, they've been very good about presenting out there. They've, they've done a very good job of really talking about their evolution. They, they, they buy into the, the sort of dojo, um, mm-hmm. you know, embedded model where, where, you know, you've, you've got a group of people that kind of went out, were pioneers, established a new way of doing things. They've been bringing in groups to, to deal with different things. Um, you know, come learn for six, eight weeks, go back, take it back to wherever you're at, you know, try and teach the teacher kind of thing. Um, I'm curious though, if, if they dug into it at all, you know, the, the concept of two pizzas sounds great. It fits on a t-shirt. It fits on a slide. Um, the, the trick to that is, you know, you're, it's just like, it's sort of just like microservices. It sounds great in theory, right? Small fix it. Um, but it does introduce a bunch of overhead in terms of I've now got to, um, you know, sort of, like you said, I've got to document what I'm doing because I'm going to present what I'm doing as an API. I've got to coordinate a roadmap with people. I've got mm-hmm. to communicate schedules. I've got to do a bunch of things um, that, you know, I'm curious, like, did anybody ever get into like how much project management overhead or how much just communication overhead goes on when you start breaking things up into these much smaller teams, um, you know, and, and how well that's worked or what hasn't worked and so forth. Because again, you're, you're introducing a human element into something that, uh, you know, when, you know, when, when, if they're not all aligned in terms of like what their priorities are or what their motivations are can potentially become challenging. Yeah. And I think you touch on something that is still a challenge at a lot of these events and that some of those things are glossed over pretty, um, pretty well. They don't, get into a lot of a lot of the depth Uh, some of the some of the talks you know they'll they'll get into a lot of where those challenges were Uh, and there was one talk i I saw i think it was in detroit recently where they talked of the about the trough of disillusionment Mm -hmm. where you know you hit this point where it's a lot more painful going down the devops path and you know because now you're deploying more frequently you're seeing more of this the wounds that are in the environment having more failures up front that you're trying to address and get out of the way. Uh, I think Jez Humble has a quote that puts it best. If it hurts, do it more frequently and then bring the pain forward. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of that, but I think that a lot of the talks that, that you see at these events really kind of get, you know, kind of gloss over some of that pain. Yeah. They don't, they don't get into a lot of the specifics or, or show off some of the warts. Uh, not, not that I think that they're trying to hide them, but you know, when you're, when you're trying to condense your talk, I think you're, you're trying to motivate people and you know, some of this stuff can be really disheartening. Um, yeah. Well, and it was, it, it's interesting. Cause I, I know like my, my feeling when I went out to the, to the event, you know, so 
you can go to a DevOps Days event and, and to a certain extent, you, you sort of realize like it, it's as much a networking event as it is an education event. Somebody's wanting to say like, look, I did something and you know what? If somebody else is willing to pay me more, I'm willing to go do that at your <laughs> company too, which is, which is cool, like yeah. free markets. Um, the sense I got at the, at the Enterprise Summit event was more... You know, especially when you were, you know, say take somebody like Nationwide, you know, who's I think in uh, Columbus, Ohio, you go, look, th- these folks aren't looking to, to jump a bunch of jobs. It's not like there's a, a massive market in Columbus, Ohio for, you know, high tech companies per se, right? Like, it, but they do have a ton of really stable, you know, long term like retail companies and other stuff. And you go, these folks, like three years, four years, five years, like isn't a long period of time because they look at, they look at their, their current employer is somewhere they, they want to stay for a long time, right? Like it's a different mentality. Um, and I wonder if, you know, they don't talk about it as much because they're like, look, it's, it's just the pace of change that we deal with. And, you know, I, I don't need to bring it up as painful. Whereas if you brought up two, three years to the folks in Silicon Valley, it's like, oh man, that's, that's three jobs and two apartments and such and such, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you know, four stock options later, man, I wouldn't be dealing with that stuff. And, uh, but you're right. I, I, you know, it's a, you get a 30, 40 minute talk. You're going to, you're going to gloss over certain things, but I would like to see at some point if, uh, if Gene's folks are listening, which they probably aren't, but if they were, uh, it would be nice to see a track about, uh, you know, sort of DevOps at scale as opposed to, you know, DevOps for center of excellence or DevOps for, you know, 10 microservices on the website type of thing. Because I think there is a certain amount of, you know, there is, there is effort, if you will, or pain and suffering, as you said, like when you start to break these things up and then distribute them and, and deal with, you know, just how do you, how do you, how do you run that going long-term? How do you motivate people? How do you measure it? How do you, how do you manage it? And, and so forth. Yeah. I would say also that, uh, Jason Cox from Disney, he had a great talk in, he, he did a very similar talk in London. It may have, may have been almost all the same. And there was a lot of overlap. Um, but in his talk, he, he actually talked about how they changed the org structure and, and some of the pain that was associated with it. And some of the, uh, I guess the higher, a lot of the higher level values in, in doing it. And then also some of the lower levels where they, they were almost along the same lines of creating those product teams, but those teams were basically spread across multiple uh, properties within within the Disney you know, purview mm-hmm. to where these teams were supporting multiple elements with it. So there, the recording, I believe, was not done for his talk, um, sure. just based on yeah. some of the nego- negotiations with uh, it being Disney and all, I believe. But yeah, there there was a blog. I'll, I'll see if I can find it, and if we can, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, just kind of outline some of that. Uh, there was definitely some images that were taken that were on Twitter. So if you search the Des 16 for for the time frame in November, I'm confident that you'll you'll see one of the org chart ones. But it was just really interesting how their their VPs align and and how it's not just a uh, you know like a tree org chart. It's very much more of a of a table where there's a lot of overlap uh, on right. those. So so yeah, there's definitely some of that. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and, and to your point, I think, you know, the, the model of saying like, look, um, the thing that we provide, you know, looks like a service and, you know, we can represent it as an API and, you know, how we deal with things behind the covers, you know, isn't necessarily as important. I mean, at some point to optimize it, it becomes important, but, you know, I, I think a lot of this stuff does sort of go back to the core principle of saying, look, you know, it's sort of the almost I want to say it's almost the reverse of Conway's law. It's like, look, you know, the the whole like your software will look like the way your your organization communicates. Mm-hmm. Well, if you ever want your software to look 
the way it's supposed to look, you're going to have to sort of build your organization to, to communicate that way as well. And, and you almost have to start with the idea of, you know, the, the thing that your group does needs to be represented as a service. It needs to be represented as a, you know, programmable type of API kind of goes back to the old, uh, you know, amazon.com internal memo of, you know, you will be an API or you will be fired kind of thing. Yeah. Um, cause I, I think otherwise, if you're trying to do them, you know, loosely coupled, but in parallel, change your organization and then, you know, write software a certain way, you're going to, you're going to kind of get a mess. I mean, you, you have to be very conscious of, of both the organizational model and, and the, and the software development model. Um, and, that, well, and that may allow you to scale just kind of with that thinking in mind. Yeah. And I, I do think that is a big reason why you see organizations go in the model of having that center of excellence. Or, you know, if you look at the DevOps report that Puppet and Dora put out earlier this year, one of the things that they mentioned is like 80% of workloads that are targeted for DevOps are net new workloads, yeah. right? They're net new applications. And I think a large part of that is because, you know, you can't, you can't develop, develop the software and, and not have the people that are involved in mind and, and doing that, you know, to your point. And so this gives them an opportunity to kind of incubate and work out all the warts. The way I like to describe, uh, you know, this scenario is that, you know, you've got, you've got this spot out in a briar patch that you want to get to, you're going to get cut. You're going to bleed along the way. And the question is, is that as you, as you do that, how do you prevent people coming behind you on the same path from getting cut and, and bleeding as much as you did? Because if you're going to do it and you want them to follow, the idea would be to kind of give them a, a safer path to get through. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that makes it makes a ton of sense. And, and, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is, uh, you know, as, as look, every company, you know, everybody says they want to become a software company. If you've ever lived in the software world, as soon as your as soon as your software becomes like version four Oh five Oh six Oh, you know, things aren't nearly as fun anymore because you're spending a lot of time, you know, you get away from the sort of euphoria of, I had this great idea and it's going to look exactly like this. And you get into the reality of, this is how people want to use it and it's going to look different than what you planned and it's going to look different than how you architected it. And so, yeah, if you don't sort of put some of those rails up early on, you're going to have people that get, uh, they get very frustrated if they, if they're not seeing sort of an ongoing ability to grow it and so forth. Um, let me ask you one more thing. So, um, you know, every, every segment of our industry has some thing that people have talked about for a long time that, that, you know, sort of you go, God, I've heard this a million times and I, I really kind of believe it's BS. You know, we used to have things like, you know, cloud bursting was a thing that people talked about, like it was going to happen when it never did. Um, what are you seeing in the DevOps community that you sort of go, yeah, I wish they'd stop talking about that. I think that's complete BS. Oh, wow. Any, um, any, any DevOps pet peeve at this point that you kind of wish they would, you know, you hear it over and over and you go, God, just stop doing that. <laughs> well, I think, I think for me, the, the biggest one is, and I think we're moving away from it. Uh, being that DevOps equals culture. And while I, I don't have a strong argument that culture isn't important in DevOps, uh, I think that they've, you know, as a community, we, we've kind of done a, a poor job of making culture being that flagpole that we're, we're flying our flag on when it's much more than that. You know, I mean, without, it, without the culture, obviously, it, it can't work. Uh, long term, but yeah, culture is culture is one of those things that are that are really really hard. And I think DevOps is much 
much broader than that. And so I think that's the one I'm, you know, I'm, I'm personally looking at, I'm like, all right, let's, let's stop talking about the culture and let's, let's start talking about the, how things get done. Because, you know, if, if you start executing and getting things done and you start making people's life better, uh, a couple of things happen. People get happier with their job. You know, even the DevOps report you know, talks about that. Like people are more likely to recommend their company and they're more likely to stay at a company when, you know, DevOps has been implemented and they feel like they're, you know, accomplishing more, you know, that changes your culture. So if, even if you're leading with a culture that, that does certain things that, you know, as, as you get success with DevOps, you're going to change your culture. Uh, so culture can be a, um, a result of the work that you're doing. So right. I, I don't, I, I think that's the one I, I, I think is you know, re- reducing the, the value in the conversation around DevOps. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with that. I think um, the the thing that gets me about sort of the the DevOps culture uh, theme that that goes on all the time <clears throat> is uh, you know, and, and I was I remember listening to like uh, John O'Bacon, and uh, we were at All Things Open, and we were sitting in a side session, and he was kind of talking about the culture and the and this and there was a piece of it that was like, yeah, I, I get it, you know, like you you're trying to build this sort of harmony between, you know, the pace at which developers are going to build things and the pace at which operations is is capable of doing things. And, and inherently you create this, you know, you have a friction there, you have a, um, you know, mism- impedance mismatch, you have a uh, priorities sort of mismatch and so forth. But, but what, what, you know, when I sort of take that and I overlay it on the DevOps Enterprise Summit sort of world, which, you know, in reality, most of the folks that present there look like, they look like the bulk of the market, and if you and if you sort of map out their journey, none of their journeys are short. I mean, they're all two, three, four years of effort and work, and you know it, it takes a long time to to make some of these big changes. And and I always wonder from a culture perspective of, you know, how are you gonna how are you gonna evolve a culture when you sort of go everything's blameless? Uh, we don't really, you know, nobody's necessarily a hundred percent accountable for something. And, and there's a part of me that goes, well, that's, that's all cool. And that sounds great, except people would like to get promoted and they would like to get raises and they, and there are natural human power struggles that happen. And there are, you know, it's, it's almost like they go, well, we'd like to forget all those things that you, you know, that you just sort of learn, you know, growing up and, and watching how things work, you know, in the business world. And, and yeah, so I I think there's some sort of, there's a, there's a different balance that I think is going to have to sort of get struck there especially as people are trying to figure out how do you, you know, you do DevOps at bigger scale as opposed to just, Hey, you know, here in this center of excellence where we all get to be superheroes and we all get to be cool and we all get to, you know, be the person, the rock star that put out that first mobile application. Like, how are you going to deal with that at a broader scale? Um, and I don't think that ever really gets talked about. Well, you know, interestingly enough with Patrick Dubois, I had a conversation with him at the London DevOps enterprise Summit. And when I was talking with him, you know, I was like, you know, so what kind of like moved you down this path to, to want DevOps to be in existence? And one of the things he mentioned, he's like, you know, I just didn't want my job to suck as much as it did. And you know, I kind of took that to heart. And so when I, when I communicate out and I'm talking about like, what is DevOps? Like when you boil it down, it's just making deploying, developing and deploying code suck less. And so from, from that standpoint, if you, if you look at that, and you look at the things that you're doing to provide continual improvement throughout the system, the other thing that you should also be doing is removing heroics, right? That you no longer have 
these people who are you know, doing these major feats of you know, IT, if you will, uh, just to, in order to, to get to the finish line. And you're starting to create a much more predictable model for how things work because you can't, you can't predict heroics. You right. just can't you can't know that somebody's always going to step up and solve the problem. And, you know, they kind of touch on this in the Phoenix Project with Brent. Like Brent's the, the character in the book who always knows everything, but he's also the bottleneck. He's also part of the problem. Like Things don't get fixed because everybody just assumes Brent can just jump in there and take care of it. Right. And, you know, with that, then, you know, it's it's not an environment where everybody's going to thrive and feel like they're that they're you know getting what what they should get but everybody in the environment should feel like that they know what they're doing what they're responsible for doing and they can get it done in in a somewhat less painful manner than than they would have done otherwise so i i, I do think that we're going to see some shaking out there uh, i i just saw a interesting tweet from simon wardley just prior to us starting this off talking about how <laughs> with with IT organizations becoming more adept at being agile and uh, you know, changing what they're doing to you know, modify to better present for the, what the business wants, uh, they're starting to see a trend where the businesses are starting to demonstrate that they don't necessarily know what they want. <laughs> they don't they don't know where they want to go or what they want to do. And it's it's I think that's going to be an interesting thing that if if you start seeing these people who have um, not, I wouldn't say born in DevOps, but have have been spending the last three to five years working in an organization that is has been very efficient as an IT organization. They start looking to be promoted and, and moving to other companies to help kick those initiatives off at those other companies. Are, are the businesses even going to be ready for that, or are they? You know, you would hope that they're hiring someone like that because they are, but it'll be interesting to see if that actually continues to play out where the businesses are now in a situation where they're like, uh, so what can you guys do? Right. IT says, well, what do you want to do? Right. Business well, back. and I think there's a part of that, that, that is, again, that is, is sort of, you know, impedance mismatches where, you know, business, you know, biz, people like to say that business moves extremely fast. I mean, to a certain extent it does on a, you know, if you're a, a rep who carries a day-to-day quarterly quota, you know, life moves pretty fast all the time, but, but businesses, they do annual budgets. They do five-year forecasts. They do three, you know, so, I mean, like it has evolved sort of the way businesses evolved and, and now, you know, like they have an ability to go faster and they're measuring themselves against other it organizations, but they're not necessarily always measuring themselves against, you know, how fast is everybody else in my business move? And so, yeah, you're going to have this sort of, you know, natural impedance, you know, correction between like the business saying, oh, we, we can go fast, huh? Well, what does that mean? I have to start thinking about being able to do because before I was expecting you guys to tell me it was going to take 18 months. Now you, right. want to, now you want me to figure it out in a week? Oh, okay. I got to recalibrate my brain because I didn't used to have to worry about that problem. Yeah, and it's a good problem. I almost liken it to uh, when you're traveling with GPS now. Right? Yeah. You can go with Google or you know even some of the you know in dash navigation systems where they'll say. In fact, this happened to me this yesterday. Uh, they'll they'll say something along the lines like traffic has stopped two miles ahead. Would you like to take an alternate route? I'm like, well, yes, 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 I would. Or it'll say, you know, traffic stopped, but even with the delay, this is the fastest route. So just stick it out. 
um, you know, I, I kind of look at businesses and as these organizations are becoming more agile and more capable at delivering what's needed, when the business says, all right, look, to your point, we've got a three-year plan for what we you know, plan on doing and how we plan on attacking this market and growing it. But we see this one little opportunity that's a slight detour that we think is either going to get us there faster or is going to provide uh, enough benefit that it's worth taking that alternate route. We're still going to the same destination, but we may just have an alternate route that's going to get us there. Uh, can you navigate us through that and and do it in a way that's not going to get us to our destination delayed or without all our baggage? Right, right. Well, and and that, and that brings up the point of uh, you know, and I'll sort of wrap it up on this, you know, if you're an IT organization and you've actually gotten better, um, number one, kudos, uh, but number two, you, you better start communicating that to people because when that, when that business opportunity comes along and they go, huh, I wonder if we can do this. Like they should have known ahead of time that you were capable of, of doing something on short notice, right? It's, you know, it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of your grocery store now being open 24 hours a day where you go, Oh, I can have that problem and just go to the grocery store and pick stuff up. And I, I say this, you know, like people in Silicon Valley are going, what's the hell's the matter with you? You just grub hub it and it just comes to your house. No, some of us <laughs> actually still have to go to the grocery store and it's nice that it's open 24 hours a day, but yeah, it, it gets back to sort of internal communication and internal marketing and, you know, funny things like that, that you have to do to think about yourself as a, as a business internally, as opposed to just a, an IT cost center and stuff. Yeah, and I, I think what we're going to see more, most importantly, with with the growth of DevOps and with the growth of you know, IT organizations being more effective in, in what they're doing and understanding the value that they have to the business. One of the things that I run into quite a bit, you know, working for an infrastructure storage company, is that you know, the capabilities of the storage system, like they they have tremendous value outside of just the data management stuff that the storage team is accustomed to to working with. And how do you understand? a way to articulate the value that it has to the business and the additional services and capabilities that you can provide. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more IT organizations looking at themselves and say, okay, this is the type of the service that we deliver. Here are the things that we can actually provide. And, oh, would it be useful if you got this data like eight hours faster? Or would it be useful if you could get this information from our customer base, you know, using data sets that we already, you know, helping it understand like, the information and the systems that they provide, how they truly touch the business and the business looks to them to make money, I think is, I think we're going to see that continue to grow. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. And I think, uh, it's another, it's another skill to add to the, uh, to the resume for folks for the toolbox of, you know, get, get good at the stuff that you've got to do around, around DevOps for orgs and, and technology. And then also there's a communication element in there. So listen, uh, I'm going to wrap it up with that. Um, you are, uh, very active out in, in a bunch of different communities and, and rumor has it, you may be starting your own podcast. Where can folks, uh, find you, stalk you, communicate with you, all, all those good things out on the internet. Uh, best place is always on Twitter at Josh underscore Atwell. Okay, cool. Well, listen, yeah, we that's will, the easiest uh, way. All right, they can start there, and then you will help them find all the other ways to buy you a beer and uh, pick your brain. Well, listen, man, uh, it is great to have you back on the show. Um, hopefully, yes, your, you. your, uh, hopefully the holidays went well. I know uh, we've got Thanksgiving behind us, but folks have got uh, end-of-season holidays coming up, and uh, we wish them all uh, great holidays. Wish you guys good holidays. Um, with that, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, for Aaron and for Josh, folks, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 